This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Finish Line Script Competition. In its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is the only script competition run by ex-literary managers. Six-plus pages of actionable development notes are available to you, or you can submit your script as is. Scripts can be rewritten and resubmitted for free anytime throughout the competition. Over 40 mentors read and meet with the winners, and the competition staff itself works with many semifinalists on getting their material read throughout the industry. They are here to help writers succeed by improving your script along the way and making sure you get opportunities when your material is ready. So check out what's happening at finishlinescriptcomp.com, now open for submissions. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Chris? Well, kind of forever. Yeah, we went back to that Akila after Chadwick passed away. We're like, you know what? We're going to keep it. We're just going to keep it Wakanda, you know, just during this Rona time and shit. <clears throat> anyway, so you guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we just, we keep, I'm losing all my shit. On the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. So Lisa Bellacaza, she might join us. I'm not sure. Um, she's the street nerdist, the original L Boogie. Um, so I'm not sure if she's going to be on, but we got my dude, of course, here, Chris Derrick, in the building, writer, director himself. What's up, Chris? It's been a minute. Yeah, wait, yeah, is this our first one for the it's pretty Yeah, okay. yeah this could be the first one. It's been a minute. Uh, I mean, I don't even know, man. I mean, people were tripping. <laughs> you know, we're recording this what four days since the the uh, since the attempted like storming of the Bastille and fucking. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, you know. I was telling some of the deaths. It's not really a coup because the military wasn't involved. You know, the military had been out on the streets since the Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter thing. They were like just and still on the streets now. Right. Then we had something to worry about. It was some heinous shit. I'm glad mm-hmm. he got suspended from Twitter. Yeah. You know, like to me, to, to like my biggest question is, why did they wait so long? Why did they wait so long to fucking censor his ass? They should have censored his ass last <laughs> summer. I mean to me I was telling someone what they should have been doing is um for his press conferences. Mm-hmm. He should be on tape delay. And the minute he started lying, just beep his ass out. Just <laughs> ass up. When you're done, you tell you the truth, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take the beep off. Right. Um, I'm just, I mean, I was, you know, I was thinking th- today, I saw to my friend Cole today about my tattoo script. Um, mm-hmm. And. Did he read it? Yeah. 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 
Yeah. It's awesome, awesome script. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 He, he had very few notes. Very, very few notes. Just a couple right. things. But I was saying, um, you know, I think the last four years with Trump in the White House, it sucked up so much energy with everything. Because mm. it's very hard for people to, to remember anything. You know, you know, like I saw someone some today said, like, hey, remember that guy who did the bombing on Christmas Day? I was like, yeah, yeah. we forgot to fuck about that because this <laughs> you know? exactly. but now he's gone. So it's just like, OK, he's gone. So now we're, so right. now I think I just wonder what's going to happen with like just the rest of life. Like, how are we going to breathe easier? You know, mm. just about everything. So there's but that. You- I've, been, I've been trying to watch TV, you know, trying to watch that terrible um, uh, hold on, hold on, Keila, you can jump in anytime, girl. Oh, okay. I didn't it's know if I was waiting on an introduction. Oh, no. Okay, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll still introduce. Okay. <laughs> um, I was trying to watch that show called Bridgerton. That new. Uh, I personally love the show. I personally love it. I couldn't get past like the, the credit sequence in season oh, episode one. Really? I'm trying to watch some more. I'm trying to watch some more, but. I just, I, 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 it's hard for me. I don't even, you know, I'm not even sure I can watch television anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're just, just not in the right can. state right now. Maybe that's what it is. You're just not what? in the right state. Maybe I you're just, not in the right state. Could be. I just, I mean, I mean, look, I try to watch that and then I like, just said, I can't do this. And then I turned on my show, you know, my favorite show, The Bureau. Right. And I was like, oh, shit. This is a show. <laughs> Motherfuckers, I mean, like, I, like something happened in this, like, in the episode nine. So the, the, it's ten episodes of season, season two, episode nine. Something happened that made me go. That made me say, like, audibly, "Oh shit!" Which I typically don't do when I'm watching television. <laughs> and my brother thought I actually got hurt. He was like, "Are you okay?" I was like, "No, I'm fine." But what happened in this show? Oh shit! Yeah, I just threw the scene. It's been crazy. I mean, that I'm, I'm, I'm starting to write again. I took a lot of the holiday off. Um, I'm trying to get some properties, uh, some comic books that I've always wanted to do. And, you know, like some people now are like, oh, talk to us about what you want. And they'll put some money to options and stuff. So I'm trying to do that, which is exciting. Um, you know, and then I'm just, I'm just, I'm making, I'm working on my show. It's so exciting. You know, mm-hmm. nothing else. Nice. Nice. You know, I'm trying to do it. It's, it's so early in the year, you know. It's just early right now, so I've been- yeah. it's been funny because Akila, this is our we've been doing the show for seven eight years now, and I think this year was the first time we took two weeks off. Like we we put it, we drop an episode, damn there every every week, don't we, Chris? I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and you took it out for the holidays, you mean? This holidays, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We were like, you know what? It's in the air right now. Let's just. You know, let's get two weeks. We'll come back. Right, right, right. Hot new episode. I'll call my girl Hot Akira. We'll get it in. Hot girl. Hot girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, it was the first time we've done it in a long time. And, and, and even when we attempt to take a break, like Chris will do what we call a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. And the bottle episodes are like him by himself. Like, like we do it kind of like on a TV show where you have to be contained, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we to kind of we called them bottle episodes, and those have been really good for us too. I so those, I, just, yeah. I couldn't. I, I, I just, I just was, I just was exhausted. I actually, <laughs> by the time holiday came, 
because I was racing to get my script done, the the my, my movie, mm-hmm. and the stuff to do on the TV show, obviously, which you know we were off, but you know um, I still needed to do. I I mean I wanted to, some work I wanted to do. For sure. So when I came back, we were I could jump into some stuff. <clears throat> you know, it's just you know it's just crazy. I had this huge thing that IRS, which is not worked out quite yet. Still. It's supposed to. It, it's supposed to be worked out this week. It's supposed oh to my god! Yeah, it's terrible. It's fucking terrible. Wow, um, crazy. Which, which was stressful as hell for the last three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know. But I mean, you know, it's just I'm 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 excited to be back working. Um, just just be doing stuff. You know, I'm just really. I don't know. I'm just really excited about. I'm really excited about wanting to do this movie. <clears throat> um, and I, and I know it's like a long way off, but I'm just too excited about it but anyway let's talk about awesome. our guest yes of course of course so if you guys are grown let's go ahead and get into the show so you see akila we just be yip yapping for a minute like we do in the writer's room next right. thing we know we're like okay let's break down act one all right all right i like it <laughs> so um welcome to the show everybody my girl akila green you guys have seen her out there killing it if you're on twitter you i know y'all been hearing her because she got nine thousand five hundred. 50,000 people listening to her all the time. So all she says is, all she does is cough and 3,000 people will respond to her and shit. Like, she important. <laughs> I hear the hate. <laughs> Happy Sunday. <laughs> My coughs are hilarious. That's how you know I love you. See? <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Akila Green out there doing big things right now. Some cool-ass shows you guys have seen out there. Um, we'll go back to um, All Black Ladies um, Sketch Comedy Show. I'm probably pronouncing it all kind of wrong. Um, <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> uh, out there with Robin Thicke and all them doing big shit. Feed. Um, I always call it Thicke. Feed. I should know better. I was fucking interviewed. With Feedy. And then uh, let me see. We got uh, Perfect Harmony. Currently, you're on Black Monday. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, oh, oh, the uh, the uh, the uh, Don Cheadle show. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like yep. that show. I mostly come up with those, but it's funny. It's right. funny. Ridiculous, which is what you, I love about it. You worked on some award shows and stuff like that before too. Uh, I did the Emmys this year. Nice, nice. So we have to get into all, all that. Okay. So for the people out there listening, let's tell the kids a little bit about yourself. You know, who are you? Where you come from? How you got into the game? Okay. Uh, Akila Green, originally from uh, right outside of Houston, and uh, before I came to LA to be a screenwriter, I was a lawyer lobbyist in DC for seven years, Mm -hmm. Uh, and when I was there, I started doing stand-up and started doing improv and sketch, and I knew before I went to law school, because I loved TV so much that I wanted to get involved with TV somehow, Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure, like I didn't know what a writer did in my little, you know, hometown, like nobody knew what writers did in Hollywood. And so I figured it out along the way. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I knew that before I went to law school. And then, but, but I went to law school anyway, uh, spent a lot of money and a lot of time, uh, very long detour. Um, but right when I was up for partner, I was like, I gotta go now. So I quit and moved to LA to start over to become a screenwriter wow. and when I moved out here I didn't know anybody and so definitely just like 
scrapping from the bottom, using every connection I knew. Um, and how long, how long you been out here, Akila? I'm coming up. I'm coming up on eight years. Eight year, okay, all right. And uh, call you know like like a friend of a, a like my really close friend from law school. Her brother in law is a stand up and a showrunner and. I hit him up like, hey, I'm in town. What's up? And yeah, yeah. He took me to breakfast. And then it turned out like three weeks later, he was like, um, he got hired for like a very short gig and needed a writer's assistant. And the guy that he normally calls was on a fantasy football retreat in Joshua Tree. And so and he was scrambling and he was like, hey, can you type? And I'm like, dude, I got a law degree. And so, I can type. Um, and truly that was my first job. Uh, it, it was just a short gig, but it happened maybe three months after I got here, which was a nice, like sign, you know, that like, okay, you didn't completely blow up your life. You didn't completely ruin everything. Uh, yeah. And then from there I got into the CBS sketch comedy showcase. Um, and that's how I met my, uh, first manager. And then from there, just writing scripts and networking and hustling and, who wants to have lunch, coffee, meet with me, talk with me. And I ended up be- getting connected to, I'm skipping over stuff. Let me know if you want me to go okay. back. I, I ended up getting connected to one of the writers on real time with Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was like, yeah, come over on Friday before taping. And like, like we have like some dead time. So I came over there. I lived across the street from the lot. And like, he just talked to me about writing and the writer's room. And let me, like, that was my first, like, he let me walk in the writer's room and meet everybody nice. and introduced me. They, they ended up meeting a writer's assistant a few months later and he introduced me to the producers. Like I had a meeting with the three producers over there and I think they already knew who they wanted as a writer's assistant, but they agreed to meet with me and then really liked me and then hired me as, uh, they called it a literary consultant, which is basically they were kind enough to be like, we like you, we think you're going places, we don't have a job for you, but we want you to be able to put our, our name on your resume if that will help. Nice. So cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I basically I read books of the guests that they were considering having on and like came up with talking points and questions that Bill might be able to ask. Okay. And I did that for a little bit. And then when Chelsea Handler got her Netflix show, um, she was looking for researchers and those producers recommended me for that. And so that is how I got on Chelsea's show. And then from there, I scrapped my way into that writer's room. And mm-hmm. so that was my first, like, I'm a member of the WGA. I got health insurance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like, that's the story to my first writer's room job. I love that because you, what I hear is the hustle in it, you know. You st- and and, and the, the fascinating thing is I always tell everybody, sometimes you end up doing a job that is beneath you. For sure. I started but, but over. You, Right. Yeah, I mean, come on. You're a lawyer about to be a partner. I know you're making more money than that. So, <laughs> matter of fact, where am I 10% at? Um, <laughs> Truly, I'll, and, I'll tell you this fact because it's crazy. Right, right. So, it took me three years to get my first writer's room job from when I moved out here till I got, I was officially a writer. That's and in that, in that three years, I made less money than I made in one week <laughs> of being a lawyer. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> Man, spend all my little savings. But wait, I wait, wait, Go ahead, Lisa. Wait. Lisa's on by Lisa Bolacaz. Oh, hi. Hey, I'm on your start. Wait, where's my face? Yeah. 
Oh, wait. Swear, every time I get on here, for some reason, I has. Oh, there I am. It has for some reason on my thing. It, it's usually you can you can hit the video thing and you can like put your face on it. But every time I pop on here, it always puts me. Yeah, I got well, look, I got my books since I got my pile of books and stuff, and I got my <laughs> orange juice and you know, I got my snacks. Cause you know, every day has been like crazy everywhere in DC. So Kilo, you're probably happy not to be back there at all. Now listen, I've been happy not to be there for several years at this okay. point. <laughs> but but Akilah, what I want to know is this though, because I know from reading your from, from reading your bio stuff, like, you know, to go from being what I think what was I read was like what you're like a year shy of being partner mm-hmm. like how because a lot of times when people go for that dream they go for writing and when you've already come in from a job that most people would think oh my god you've made it it's like you girl you got the benefits you got everything going mm-hmm. on how did you deal with like people literally dealing with you like just chucking everything and going for what you wanted to go for without them having the negative. I'm talking about like family and close friends. Yeah. Like how do you do it? A lot of people are in that position now thinking about, well, maybe I want to pursue this and they probably have some kind of work or job to doing now that everyone thinks is, Oh, you know, you've got it made. What, why would you do something crazy like that? Like how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it helped that I knew before I went to law school that that's what I wanted to do. And the reason I only reason I went is because my parents were like, what the hell is a TV writer? Uh, You better go make some money and make enough money that you never need to move back into this house. And so those are my marching orders. And also, also, both of my parents have graduate degrees. So it was always like an expectation in my house that I would get a second degree. And so that was kind of the pressure that was on me. But I knew that I didn't want to do it. I will say that. My dad is like a hardcore political junkie, so I grew up loving politics. And also my first cousins, who I love so much, lived in D.C., so I would spend the summers there. And like coming from suburban Houston, which like mm-hmm. my, my where I grew up just turned blue in 2018. Like it was, a, <laughs> oh, I come from a okay. red district wow. okay. uh, the okay. last 40-something years. And mm-hmm. so when I would go to Chocolate City... I was like, oh, I got to figure out how I can get here. And so D.C. graduate school, love politics, lobbying just made a lot of sense for me. Mm -hmm. So it was was an okay plan B for me. And I also just had like a, I mean, truly D.C. is still, I still love the city and had a great time living there way better than I'm having in L.A. Um, And so I was having a great time. And also, like, my firm is big and fancy. I was doing great. And I realized that, like, even this is not enough. This is great. I have no complaints. And I also, you know, they'll tell you about working at a law firm that it's like a white-collar sweatshop. Like, you work 80-hour weeks and blah, blah, blah. I didn't have that experience. I I, I had my nights, my weekends. My boss never <laughs> called me on the uh, after yeah. hours, like, ever. Like, didn't have my cell phone number. Wow. So, like, <laughs> I had a great time. and I But I still saw the writing on the wall and was like, I, st- I can't do this 30 years from now. Like, I, this right, is not what right. I want. If I have right. no complaints and I still don't want it, then that's a sign that I, you know. So that's, right. so that's, so I was convicted enough to know that I want to do it. But also, um, I just had, I had gotten, this, it sounds arrogant, but I hadn't failed yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, and I was young enough to believe, like, why would I fail? You yep. know what I mean? And so that's mm-hmm. kind of what was propelling me out here. And that helped because my parents could, couldn't cite to the time that I fucked up <laughs> as a reason for me not to come. But also they didn't, you know, I was grown when I got out here. So, um, and so no, e- people, I think, everybody, 
truly most people in my circle were super supportive. And I also had started doing stand up. I also oh. like was very funny. Like but everybody. I, I don't want to interrupt, but that's what I found interesting. You said earlier, you were saying you were, you were, I mean, that's almost a show in itself. The the attorney by day, the stand up by Listen, night. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> did you mention that? Did you, did you mention that so off the cuff? Like, yeah, I was working at a law firm doing lobby work, and I was a stand up at night. I'm like, wait a minute. Well, what's crazy about that too is that like PC is very small, and like the political circle is super small. We all know each other, and. Truly, it sounds crazy, but D.C. is a city where, like, if I walk into a party by myself, I'm going to know 10 people. And so, and, like, if I go to 7-Eleven, I'm going to run into somebody I know. And so, Mm -hmm. and so, and as a lobbyist, your job is to know people. And, and so, there's a weird thing of, like, me being on stage talking about my dating life, but I might be in your office tomorrow talking to you about a piece of legislation that I need you to support. (laughs) So, that that was always a little weird. (laughs) <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question, Nikila. Has your background as a lawyer helped you in what 100%. you do? One hundred percent. In so many different ways. I mean, I think one being a lawyer, uh, like you write a lot. I don't know if people know that that's part of the job, but so like mm-hmm. being a writer who can communicate effectively, persuasively, efficiently, like that is something that I have been trained to do. Um, and then. Um, so and also like being a lawyer, your job is to issue spot. They t- they train you in law school to like take a piece of information and and filter it very quickly to figure out what is or is not working, because you want to be able to call that out before op- the opposing side does. Oh, right. And so that is a skill set that I think that has helped me in breaking stories and giving notes and figuring. You know, like this joke is really funny, but if we do it, it's going to pull a thread out of page fourteen. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? like and I think I'm detail-oriented and can see the big picture, which is just like truly because I've been trained to do that. So that's one. Mm-hmm. I think also working at a corporate law firm, like I just, like professionalism, punctuality, deliverables, billing, client mm-hmm. service, like all these things I think people don't associate with. Like, like being able to write a story is one thing, but it, being able to have a career in this industry right. is a different thing. It requires you to be able to network and communicate and show up on time and deliver things on time. So I think I think I wouldn't have had those skills had I come out here at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So I think that's... Well, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point you make because because uh, I think I think what a lot of people fail to grasp about what it means when you are writing or whatever, if you have a career out here is, whether it's in writing, whether it's acting, whether it's directing, whether it's producing, is that you're ability to understand what's happening outside of your the actual craft of what you're doing has a lot to do with your success or your lack of success mm-hmm. you know because i think a lot of people feel like they write and they can you know oh like i'm really good at writing at night and blah 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 and i'll sleep till noon and it's like you can't do that on a show <laughs> you can't because it's like it's, you know because you're gonna be up and and, and be fresh and be you, you have to be like you know kind of ha- have your ability to be as creative as possible during the hours of the show you know right. and if you've kind of been like you know doing whatever you I mean I've met a lot of people who are like they love to write late at night and I'm like well if you were if you were a screenwriter you could probably get away with that right. probably but you know but but not for television like, mm. like you can't do the machine 
that you know and and not have the discipline and i think that like if you if you work at a corporate also i think that by working in a in a corporate environment because i did that for a while, while too you get very aware of like how office politics work mm-hmm. how that mm-hmm. shit can fuck up and derail your career in a way that you might not have sure. under, you, you have no like comprehension of it if it's not if, if that's not a big experience of yours Right. Yeah, like, do you realize that this is a job? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is a career. You got bosses. You got people. You have to be accountable to. Unless you're the boss, you know. I think um, office dynamics, all of that, comes into play. Yeah. So I think that's another thing. The thing, and I, and I tying this to kind of when I came out here, and one big thing that I think is I, I harp on, and it sounds annoying and nerdy, is that networking is a big deal, and I think it's like a dorky word and people are like eh, networking it, it has like a negative connotation mm-hmm. as a lobbyist like that is what you do like your whole job is to establish and maintain relationships mm-hmm. and like you could have the best script possible but if nobody knows you mm-hmm. and if nobody's thinking about you when it's time to to hire somebody then it doesn't matter and so every every connection like, like I said I came out here I didn't know anybody and every connection I have is because I followed up with somebody who was a second degree connection and was like, can we have coffee and mm-hmm. that type of deal. And like those connections start to build on each other and the payoff is not always immediate. It might be two years later and somebody remembers you, mm-hmm. but I think that is key. And it's right. something that I learned in DC. For sure. For, I mean, I mean, I mean, like I've met people who I remember one time maybe three, four years ago, I was, I was up for a job or a featured job. And the executive had read me eight or nine years before. And the producer was bringing me in. I mean, the producer had mentioned, oh, I want to bring this writer in. Do you, have you heard of him? And he was like, oh, this guy, he wrote this. And I was like, I haven't, I mean, I knew who he was, but it was kind of like a flashy thing. But he remembered my work. Mm-hmm. He remembered that meeting. It was, it was literally like, like I said, probably like eight or nine years before. And mm-hmm. it just kind of shocked me. And, and that was yeah. kind of how he was like, oh, it's cool that you have him. Because there's that moment that you have when you have a meeting with someone that you're establishing a lot about who you are as a person, who you are as a creative. And, and also, is there something that you say about yourself that is going to be interesting so they remember you, mm-hmm. you know, it's like years later. And you're right. right. I mean, I mean, it, it's people always think it's about the work. I mean, and... I mean, it is, but it's only maybe half the work. Even yeah, like half, it's half both. Half about your work, you know? Well, here's, here, here's the interesting thing that I'm, I always parallel the same thing with us being writers or, or actors. There's lots of similarities in what we do. <clears throat> and it's the same thing where, um, um, like I tell actors, for example, you go on an audition, you get a call back. It's a great thing. You may not get the job. Mm-hmm. But if you got a call back, and I know this from being in hundreds of hours of casting sessions as a producer, <laughs> that, bless you, Chris, that, you. that we don't forget the same thing that Chris is saying. Mm-hmm. You, Keela might come in and kill it. And she didn't get the role for a stupid reason. It's got nothing to do with her. Yeah. Right. And the more you cast on the side, you start to understand what the, why somebody doesn't get a job or whatever. But then we'll go, wait a minute, episode four, we got this cool yep. thing where 
Aquila would be perfect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's and it's the same thing with us as writers. It might have been eight years later of a of a meeting that you come across, but that right. person still remembers something in your script or that meeting you had. It's like, oh, I'm gonna work with that dude. It's sound if I could find the right thing. You know what I mean? So totally agree with that. Yeah. Right, so no, I mean it's interesting because I mean it's interesting point you make because it's kind of like it's kind of like one of these things where it's like when you watch a movie and you see someone who's got like a little bit role and you're like, damn, that person was dope, you know? Mm-hmm. And then like a couple years later, you're like, oh, you know, I, you're like, oh, you know what? You're putting together the cast on the You're like, remember that person was in this movie that we saw and they had like three lines, but blah, blah, blah. It's like that's how it is because that's kind of the weird subjectivity of this business that you want is that is that there's an emotional... Uh, there's like an emotional like um, um, uh, ignition point that happens with people, what happens with scripts, happens with films you see. It's very fascinating to see how, you know, like just the way people remember things. And you always remember, you know, and that's why the networking is critical. I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. Networking does have a bad rap to it, bad name, because everyone thinks it's such that you go out and you just hand out business cards and meet people. And it's like, no, you got to like, Make a connection with someone, and 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 yeah. you really got to work on that. I mean, it's fascinating that you come from a, from a point of view of a lobbyist because yeah, that definitely is everything that you to be successful successful in that career. It's it's the Rolodex, you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right, and, 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 and keeping those people, you know, yeah, yeah, that's 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 interesting. That's interesting. Can can we jump into something because Akila? You've written on two, like you've written on several things and many things, but there's two that stand out to me because I just think they're just in terms of like black women that number one, one of my favorite actresses who is so underrated, but she will get her due. And she's one of the funniest people in Hollywood. Regina Hall. 100%. On I'm Black a, Monday. A master of her craft. Listen, and also something that's so... I think it's iconic because you've had it, it's something that has never been done before and it's so new. It's a black lady sketch comedy show. <laughs> Thank and you. can you talk about the differences between writing on a sketch show and TV? Because a lot of times people yeah. think, oh, if I can write on a TV show, then okay, sketch writing, I can figure out these little cute little things. It's a totally different thing to master. And I think master it well, especially because can I just tell you this? One of my favorite sketches, I don't know if you wrote it or not. Okay. I just assume I just assume that everybody on there is like this wonderful brainchild of black women being fantastic writers. <laughs> I mean, you may have some men writing on there. I don't know. I just all women. Like, no. I, 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 I just want to believe it's just all black women being fantastic and funny. But one of my favorites, and every time it comes down this timeline, it makes me fall out because the realness of it. It's the one where they're having. Okay, this this may sound terrible, but when you see it, people, it's it's hilarious. It's when they're having. It's like they're. It's like they're having, they're, it's like they're voguing and they're doing all oh, the amazing elements. Oh. Listen, yeah. listen, listen. <laughs> and, and, and they're doing the duck walk, they're bringing it. And when they say, oh, she is serving you nap time, depression in the middle. Listen, <laughs> listen, when I tell you, my spirit. It's like, yeah. Because a lot of times when we talk about black people and mental health and just certain things, I think that 
the show itself just the different sketches touches on so many things that is things that I think that black women we think about all the time that we think is hella funny. But I feel like you guys were disrespectfully going through my brain and other black women's brains <laughs> without telling anybody and throwing shit up there. Because when I was watching, I'm like, were people reading my journal? Are they spying on us? But it's like, it's so, it was just so amazing to see that, you know, and just know that there's so many funny black women out here that are writing smart, sharp comedy. So can you just kind of just go between the difference when you're writing for sketch and writing yeah. for something like a Black Monday, you know? Sure. Um, well, I'll say that that sketch you're talking about is called Basic Ball. And, mm -hmm. it's, um, and it's, it's so funny because truly this morning I woke up thinking about it, which I don't always wake up thinking about it. <laughs> this morning I woke up thinking, there's a line um, where the, the host says, Serving us Eeyore and Dior, which <laughs> just cracked me up. That's sad. Do you know um, how smart you have to be to one of the thing, even think of and remember who Eeyore is and just what that imagery brings, and then to rhyme it with it's like it's just too too smart. You're doing too much, people. <laughs> and just to get right words, dude, that sketch is the brainchild of one of the writers, Ashton Nicole Black, who was also in the cast of the Black uh, uh -huh. Sketch Show. Uh -huh. She came up with that whole concept, and of course. All the writers kind of get our hands on it. We punch it up together. We give notes together. And so we've kind of, everybody's got a joke or two in there, but that came from her brain. Mm -hmm. uh, it, and it is my favorite sketch of the, the show. Mm -hmm. um, so the difference between sketch and sitcom, I'm going to tell you that sketch writing is so much harder than scripted. Like scripted is a paid vacation is how I wow. and, 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 <laughs> wow. and I say this as somebody Whoa. who came. I started in comedy variety, but so I started in late night on Chelsea Handler's late night show. And the amount of jokes you have, like it's like you have to be a prolific joke writer. So we wake up every morning and we have, we call it the hot sheet. And the hot sheet is like the research team would give us the 30 headlines from yesterday's news. And we have an hour to bang out as many jokes as we can under each headline. Wow. That's how you Ooh. wake up in the Then the news changes throughout the day. So you're constantly updating jokes. And the t I've never had a deadline on in script in that that whole category of sketch late night award show we call it comedy variety. I've okay. never had a deadline comedy variety that was more than three hours away. Everything is due within three hours, wow. and so and so it's busy. It's stressful. You got to be hmm. yeah. You got to be yeah, and you got to roll around in these terrible headlines. You got to stay <laughs> on top of the news. Your desk fits like you know. If you do a daily show, like you're cranking stuff out every day. We had three shows a week, so anyway, so it's way harder. And the the beauty of a scripted show like Black Monday or Perfect Harmony is that you've got six main characters, mm -hmm. you know, and you have a universe, and that's the box you're going to play in. You got you got a you you know you have a, these voices in this situation, and that's it. On sketch. You know, we did 43 sketches that made it in the show. We wrote 160. <laughs> and so every morning we have a pitch meeting. And in the pitch meeting, you like your goal is to walk out of that meeting with two sketches to be able to write. Mm -hmm. And in order to land, and the sketches are like, it's not, it's not the same six characters. It's like a mom and a daughter on Mars. No, you don't like that? Okay. It's two best friends uh, backstage at one of their weddings. Okay. You don't like that? Okay. Um, like that makes you a pitch machine. You know what I mean? Like I, you, as, a, as opposed to on Black Monday where like I know who these characters are. 
and I, you know, I know, and I only have to write for them. Mm-hmm. And so truly it was like comedy variety has, was like a boot camp. Wow. And then I got on my first scripted show and was like, what? I don't have to bring a laptop every day. Like, truly, and eat snacks and be like, what if they did this? And like, that's somebody else's job to go write that episode. Mm-hmm. I got one episode to write. I got a whole week to write it. Not, not three hours. I got exactly. a whole week. Hours. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Because I always thought, even though we all know about comedy. So there's lots of different um, genres of comedies, lots of different worlds of comedy. So, for example, the, the Chelsea Handler sh- show and then a sketch show and then Perfect Harmony are three different kinds of, di- of comedy. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. How did you work your how did you get out of doing Chelsea Handler, for example, to go to sketch to go to, you know, scripted, if you will? Yeah. You know, I mean. I think when I came out here, I definitely thought scripted was the goal. And I think it's because I didn't know anything about late night or comedy variety. I didn't know those were options. And also late night, like I always knew I wanted to do comedy. Late night in my mind is like, like they say between drama and comedy, like comedy is way wider than drama. Like it's been, it's been harder for black people to break into comedy rooms, which is crazy because you know, we funny. Um, But then, (laughs) and then of the various, comedy subgenres, late night is like the whitest, most male corner of the comedy writing right. universe. And so I hadn't even seen late night as a thing. The reason I got on it is because like I said, I the producers at real time recommended me for a job right when my savings was running out. And right. and like and, and not to say that if I had I mean I needed a job in the industry. And so wherever you get your foot in, get get in the door. And so so, but that's how I ended up there because that's the show that gave me a job. And then I was like, I, I, I need to get on this writing staff, which is a, which is a whole hustle in and of itself, which I could tell mm-hmm. you about. But so I started on the show just as a researcher and, um, and, and I did that for eight months. But while I was there, I was also writing spec scripts, still networking. And I was also submitting packets to other late night shows. Um, and at some point, I got hired by Kevin Hart's company. This is when he was launching Laugh Out Loud, his Laugh Out Loud network, mm-hmm. which is like okay. a version of Funny or Die. Okay. And he was launching it, and they needed to populate the website with sketches. So they put together a short, a small room. And a friend of mine was in that room and recommended me to her friend who, who was running the room. So I sent in some sketches, and they offered me the job, but it wasn't paying more than I was getting paid to be a research assistant. And that was a long-term job. So I was like, I can't quit. Right. But I, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go. The, the, it turns out that one of the writers on that show is a stand-up who needed to go on the road and was going to be away for three days mm-hmm. or like a week. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just go to our showrunner and just tell her that I got uh, an offer to write on this show mm-hmm. and just, like, I think she's going to say no, but what I really, the, per, the point is I want her to know that people are checking for me. Right. That's my, right. Yeah. Right. So that's, right. that's the, and I have told everybody, I will say this too. You got to tell people what you want to do so that, that you're on their mind. So I, trust me, I told everybody on Chelsea Handler's show, except for Chelsea, who I didn't know well enough at the time. <laughs> that I want to write with. And so I go to the showrunner's office. I'm like, Hey, I just want to tell you blah, blah, blah. 
can I, I you know, I sure you're going to say no, but you know, they will let me do it for three days. And I, she, I think she thought it over. I don't think she wanted to let me do it just because it's a bad precedent. Like, you know, can the line producer take off three days to go work? So I'll go to the show. You know what I, mean? I get it. I get it. But she let me do it. And I did it. And when I was there, I made sure to take a picture of myself in the Kevin Hart's lobby. So in front of like a picture of Kevin Hart, I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> so of course, I get back to the, the producers on Chelsea. And, and they were literally like, oh, Akilah's going to leave. Oh. So they're out having drinks with Chelsea. And Chelsea was, you know, fussing about the writer's room that day, whatever. And they see, these are people who like, again, networking. I had gone to drinks with them after work. I had gone bike riding in Venice. I don't ride bikes, but I had done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, okay. You want to go take shots with Marla's dude? That's so why I had laid that groundwork with them. They liked me. And so when they saw this opening, they were like, listen, Akila wrote for Kevin Hart. She's going to leave. Chelsea was like, send me her samples. So I'm like in the research room, I get a text like Chelsea wants to read your stuff. And fortunately at that point, I had written enough spec scripts. I had submitted enough late night packets. I was writing for The Root back when The Root was doing more of like pop culture stuff. So like I had enough samples out in the world where like, and I had them ready to go. So I put together a packet of samples and got hired three weeks later. Nice. So that's how the Chelsea Handler job happened. Um, But the question, so that's so... So that's how I started in late night, which I didn't think was like an option for me. Right, right. Well, what I'll tell you, because there is a difference socially between uh, comedy variety and scripted. Where like late night comedy variety is where all the stand ups, improv actors hang out, like your funny people on Twitter. Like right. we all kind of know each other, and there's mm-hmm. a networking and a social scene that exists over there. We're like, I have found that sitcom writers go home after work. <laughs> <laughs> like six time writers don't turn up <laughs> in the way that does. And so you just become part of that scene, which makes it easy for me to do comedy variety and award shows and when you know what I mean. I just did a um a, a comedy special for Amazon called Yearly Departed, uh that came out um right before New Year's. And that is just like like I said, that circle that we all just kind of know each other. I got you but you make fun of my Twitter. Hilliard, uh, <laughs> but I get jobs from Twitter. Which oh, is another, I believe it because you which is, another, which is another thing that comedy people should know too. For like, if it's not your thing, I get that. Twitter is a cesspool and avoid it at all costs if you can. But I will say that, the, that like we all, it's if you talk about networking, we all know each other. And so if I come to New York and I'm like, hey, I'm in town, there there are people who I've never met in real life who would meet me for drinks because like we just been laughing and kicking on the internet together for years. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that is kind of like once I got once I started in the late night, I became part of that circle, which mm-hmm. makes it that's how I continue to get work in that area. Well, but, OK, so I just want to jump in. I mean, that's something that I think that like a lot of a lot of listeners, again, it's, it's like, again, what I, what I, what I, the thing that I love what I'm hearing from you is is, is the career management in turn is like. Like you said, you have to develop people know what you want to do, so people know what you're doing, and then the circle of friends because like the jobs come from people recommending you more than anything else, you know, and 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 that is you know because a lot of people I know who got I mean some people I know you know don't write 
like these new pilots every year. They don't need to because they, you know they've been on a show with someone and they've written and people sure. know, hey, I know this guy can write or this girl can write. So blah blah blah. You know, I mean, it's 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 just that's so much of what it is. And then it's like, oh, this person's cool because again, if you're hanging out and you're and you're riding beaches on the if you're riding bikes on the beach in Venice and getting your <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, she's cool to kick it with too. And Truly. Like, yeah. And and there's so much of that because if you're cool to kick it with out, you know, on the beach, then you're going to be a blast in the room. And yeah. that, and, and it sounds like if you guys have to, what, 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 what was the race? You said that you wrote 160 spe- sketches to get 40. So you're looking mm-hmm. at like, so, so the ratio is what was four to one. Kind of thing. I'm, wow. I mean, look, I'm, I mean, that's potentially crushing to a lot of people, but to survive, <laughs> myself included. But, but to, so to survive that, like <laughs> you know, what, I, I heard David Lindelof talking the other day. He was saying that, um, you know, the thing about all this is, it's like it's kind of like you're trying to siege a castle, right? And basically, everybody's ideas. Are the dead bodies that pile up on the walls get up and get into the courtyard? You know? And it's like the minute you die on the wall, you know, you know, don't stay dead. You got to get back and get up in line and get and, and okay. get back again. You know, sure. keep getting up. You know, and you can't take it personal if you die at the wall because right. your job is to die on the wall because the script is the script is going to get inside the thing, and so that's you know, and that's how you kind of like this. That's that's the thick skin. That you have to develop when you're sure. working like this, but that's also. But if you had that thick skin and everyone sees, oh, you can take that kind of like, I mean, that kind of that kind of that kind of laceration, you know, pe- pe- people want that. They want that in their room. They want that to help yeah. them on the show. Like, oh my god, because I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of people who can't handle it. You know, who are on and then they're out. They're like, damn, I thought you know, blah blah blah. They might have been funny, but they can't handle. Like just the, just it's just the rigors of it, you know. So that's oh, that's sure. a great that's a great testament to what mm. you've been able to do, mm-hmm. you know. But also, if you kick it in DC, work where there's a whole level of different type of skullduggery going on. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so to come out here, I bet you you was like hit Birdman hand rub. Like, all right, I'm about to like step over some pokes in a minute. And also that 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 stand up comedy background where it's like boom, boom, boom. You know, funny, fast. Uh, writing things and 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 workshopping it the moment you're on the stage, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, and let me. Well, two two thousand that one. I like to like make sure people know that like, ho- DC has nothing on Hollywood. Hollywood is the hardest, most scandalous place I have ever been. You think DC is wild? <laughs> I got here and was like, this is more than, more scandalous than DC. Well, you know what? Yes. Okay. It, it is. is. I just said that different type of no duggery. I just lawless out here. A different, a different level is, of subterfuge. This is the wild, wild west. We're like, okay. and, and, I, and I'm giving you a pre-Trump picture of DC. I don't know what they're doing now. I mean, truly, okay. they they storming the Capitol now, so they, it, it might be different. But you know, I was there during the Obama era, and like, tr- like so at my firm, we're lobbying. We're at a big, large, major law firm, but I was in the policy group, and they hire basically. You want to make sure every every part of the spectrum is represented. So we got hardcore liberals on one end and Tea Partiers on the other, right, and everybody in between. My office was located in the Tea Party wing. 
What? Like, like as you know, like your your office is kind of lying the wall and then around the curtain, whatever. So my office is like the last office before you get to the hardcore tea partiers, right? <laughs> uh, hardcore tea partiers, and and I will say, and I work with these people for seven years. Like the amount of civility and decorum and political correctness that we engage with each other on in D.C. in the Obama era. Mm makes Hollywood, which is so politically incorrect, anything goes, there is no HR department. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry. In all of Hollywood. Um, I got out here and was like, what? Like, you said that at work to a person's face? And there's no consequences? Like, that would never happen in my law firm or on the on Capitol Hill. Like, even in D.C., again, pre-Obama, dirt was done under the table, under the cover of night, in bathroom conversations. It was certainly not in the middle of a writer's room. <laughs> and wow. so. Akila, please tell me you're petty and like you send send photos of yourself with people to the Tea Party folks that you left behind. Please tell me. <laughs> um, I, will, I will say this. They all follow me. Okay. They are keeping tabs. Okay. Uh, let me ask you something. I, that I really enjoy. I enjoy my time in my law firm and those people. And, yeah. I can't remember. Did, did you come by my office before you got on the show? Mm -hmm. I thought so, because I remember us sitting here, like, having a beautiful conversation yeah. about stuff. And then I remember, I can't remember if you just popped up and knocked on my door. Is that what happened? No, you know, it's, okay, so, so, because we talked about this, because we've been trying to get together for this podcast for about two years. Right, and right. the timing of it is that Chelsea's show ended uh, December 2017. So I start. that was my first writing job and you know they say your second one is the hardest one to get right yes. so I got that job I was on it for two years so like I was good and then I'm unemployed top of 2018 oh. and and I have no like I got full days free so like I said about networking I like that that's the time to catch up with all the folks you've been talking about you're going to grab coffee with that's the time to follow up with all those executives who you couldn't break away to meet because you were in the writer's room right. and so you and I had run into like been going to the, the WGA meetings and I had seen mm -hmm. you there we've been friendly we exchanged information and I was like I got time mm -hmm. I got time and so I, I think and I didn't have I wasn't a lot of notice I was like listen I had breakfast with somebody around the corner are you around <laughs> and and I popped by your office yeah. No, no, I, I was referring to, I can remember when you guys started doing the Black Lady Sketch oh, Comedy show. Oh, right, because I knew where your office was. Yeah, cause because they were downstairs, I, Lisa. Oh. They were downstairs on the first floor. Yeah, oh. when we started on the lot, when we started yeah. on the lot, I was like, oh, Hilliard's upstairs, because I knew, because I had popped by your office, so I just ran up there like, yeah, hey. Oh, knocked on the door. Like, I'm okay. here. <laughs> That's cool. That's oh, cool. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly how that how that worked, but yeah, I remember you guys. I yeah, I was like, oh, this is Hilliard's building. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, Akila, when you had time, did you do any stand-up out here in L.A.? Like, you know. Oh, so I, I, I like to make sure that people know that I tried my hand at stand-up, but I would not call myself a stand-up. I do <laughs> all respect to stand-ups. I would never call myself a stand-up. But I definitely started doing stand-up in D.C., and then I came out here thinking that I was going to continue doing it. Uh -huh. And I had my first, I got a corporate gig. You know, a corporate gig is like a company or a conference or somebody on a retreat will say, hey, can you come give a, do a set for the entertainment of, for the crowd or whatever? And 
the thing about you know stand up, especially if you're starting out, you end up you you will do stand up anywhere, the basement of a laundromat, the coffee shop, you know, <laughs> closet of a nightclub, and so and so I had done a lot of those kind of grimy <laughs> spots, and then I got this corporate gig, which was like a connection that I had known in D.C. and and they sent a private car for me. They were at the Grand Del Mar in San Diego. And so they sent a private car to L.A. to get me. Okay, all right. My neck of the woods. They (laughs) take me to this very cushy Grand Del Mar, which is like a resort, whatever, spa. And the money was very lovely. And they fed me the fanciest meal. And I stayed in the hotel for, you know, and they gave me a gift certificate to the spa. And then they sent me back to LA in my private car. And I was like, yeah, I can't, I, I'm not cut out. I'm not cut out to go to do open mics at Irish pubs. I'm just not. And I also, I, so it ruined me and I haven't done stand up again. But also, um, I will say this. I love an audience. I love to have a microphone and be on stage. But that's the only part of stand up I like. I don't like the hours. I'm not leaving my house at 10 o'clock. I'm too old. And I think I started, I think I started too late. You know what I mean? Like I was already like a grown person who was up for partner at my law firm. Like I was used to a certain level of cushiness. Yeah, you're right. And didn't have it in me. I don't want, I don't like it enough to start over like that. Um, but, but I, and I, every, until maybe the last two years, I kept telling myself, okay, this year you're going to get up and do five minutes. And then I just like, who are you? Who are you kidding? No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> Let it go. But I, but like I said, through my late night kind of connections, like I'm friends with a bunch of standups and like I'll go to their shows and stuff. And I, I was having dinner. This happened on multiple, multiple occasions, but like, some of my stand-ups are like 50, a friend, or like 50 married family or whatever. I love saying that I'm at their house, like on a Saturday night, we're having dinner or whatever. At 11 o'clock, they get up and leave and go to work. <laughs> mm. <laughs> You're not feeling it, huh? Okay, it's like, yeah, I got to head over here to Chocolate City and do this set over here. So we're doing Chocolate Sundays over here. So. And, and also part of it is like, you know, if you're good and that's the goal, you end up like going on the road, you know, and like, I, I'm not meant for the road. <laughs> I'm built for the road. I don't want to be at the Latin jar in Missouri for three nights. <laughs> I don't have it in me. It's a killer uh, green at the Latin jar in Missouri. You know, Come on it's, it's down. I'm, I remember like about maybe 10, 12 years ago, maybe a little longer. <laughs> I, I, I went with J. Anthony Brown on some tours with him. Like, and, we, and we went to Missouri to shoot because I was doing a documentary on him. And, and and we did that. I mean, he was up early because he was doing the Steve Harvey show at the time. Oh yeah. And yeah. he was real early, and then he'd come home and nap. From, well, not even. I mean, not even nap. I mean, he'd sleep basically from around from around like like ten a.m. to like you know six p.m. Get up, and then it's like okay, so now I got to prep for my show. And then I mean, because because he would do a show, and then he'd stay awake all night to be on Steve Harvey's show. Because every show, like I think he'd be on at five. Or maybe maybe four because it's uh, they recorded it out here, but you know it's playing all over the nation. So mm-hmm. it's like a it's, it's for the it's 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 a morning drive show. Yeah, right. For people, for people on the East Coast, and I was like, can't y'all tape it late? I mean, but then they can't because it's got to be fucking you know it's live. Um, yeah. live, and it's got to be current and everything like that. And like you said, stuff could change within the hour. So it's right. very it's very. I mean, I mean, like I was getting exhausted as the cameraman. 
I didn't. I, <laughs> right. I was like, <laughs> yeah. We were doing any work, really. Yeah, I mean, listen, I love stand-up. I love to watch stand-up. My friends are stand-ups. I like to go see them at clubs. Mm -hmm. And like, I, you know, they, I'll just say this. Your favorite stand-up is working hard, people. They're not just hopping up on stage, talking at the top of their mind. That's hard work, hard hours. It's a grind and a hustle. Uh, Yeah. I've worked with, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, can you tell us a little bit about um, Yearly Departed, which I know is the comedy special that has like the women comedians talking about 2020. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know um, a couple of my friends recently were looking on Netflix and they were watching. Um, I guess Netflix had their um, what's his name? Uh, who did um, Black Mirror? Who did the Netflix? Oh, Death Doctor- to Twenty Twenty. Yeah, Death to Twenty Twenty. And I know that um, Yearly Departed is 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 taking more of a female comedian slant on that. Can you just talk about that special? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Bess Kalb is the creator of it, and she had been doing a funeral for the year, a live version of that for the last few years around Los Angeles, where she would get female comedians just to come eulogize various aspects of the year, and ended up selling it as a TV show. Um, and she partnered with Rachel Brosnahan, who is Mrs. Maisel from Mar- the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, who I think has a deal at Amazon, and so they ended up partnering. And so it's the all female writers' room again. Um, all of us who were like know each other on Twitter, it's a small room of five of us. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and it's, I think we did eight eulogies, so eight female comedians laying to rest some aspect of 2020. And the idea of it is like, you know, first of all, fuck 2020, it was a rough year. But secondly, like a cathartic release, you know what I mean? Like a comedic way to look back on it. And so, you eulogize a bunch of different things like wearing pants or having more children, things that people gave up on in 2020. Um, pants, bras, all that stuff. All of that stuff. <laughs> and, also, and also some more heavy stuff like TV cops, uh, you know, just as, a, as a, a comedic way into a conversation about like the Black Lives Matter protests that happened this summer. And also um, the era of beige only band-aids, which is just a comment on how corporations, their response this year was like very weak and performative. Here's a black square to right, put on Instagram right, and, and two right. new shades of band-aids. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the, the tone of it is like a middle finger to uh, to 2020. How do you see the shift in comedy coming into 2021? Because we're now we're entering, what is this, like our first week of, yeah. of being in the new year and Everything no, that's going on. No, on. no you're wrong. Because 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 we still have ten days before the new year starts. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Where where all the the, the, the silliness and the weirdness happens on the twentieth. But um, where? How do you see? Just in your opinion, as, as a comedy writer, twenty twenty one. Like what? Because usually we look to to comedians to to herald in. I don't know. They're kind of like the, the, what do you call it? The, what is the word I'm looking for, you guys? The heralders, the... Prognosticators? The prognosticators? Yes, I guess. Yeah, like they, they, if we were to put like stuff that we're going through and cooking in a pot, they would be like the pot liquor of the collard greens. (laughs) The essence, they bring the essence of realness of 2021. How... How how do you as you as a, as a comedy writer, a really smart comedy writer, like how do you see comedy writers moving forward in terms of writing things and just looking forward to writing things in the new year? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's interesting because I think 
Yeah, we are. It's one of those where, like, we have not had a fresh start yet. I think, you know, we're still waiting on, like, a, a sweet release will happen when Biden is inaugurated. Um, and I think that has proven to be true because in the first week, America has acted a fool. And so it's <laughs> I will say that, like, this is my... I think it's interesting. So in 2016, we had Trump. So 2015, we had that race and comedy just got like dark and like, you know what I mean? When the Obama, when Obama was in office, you can crack a couple jokes. He wore a tan suit. Ha ha ha. Yeah. And then, and then Trump gets in office and it's like, and then he tried to ban Muslims. And it's like, it's a different tenor and it's less yes. funny. And like late night got toxic and dark and hard. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, so I think the idea is that like things will be better and lighter and it'll be more fun to talk about politics. I Late night is interesting because I think that's where you're going to see a big shift. One, I think that like, I attribute it to Jon Stewart in The Daily Show, but, I, but somebody else might have a different point. But he kind of made politics and pop culture and comedy one in the same. Mm-hmm. And it was fun for a really long time. And that's kind of where you got your news and you had your conversation. Number one, Trump comes and makes everything toxic and unfunny. Two, Twitter comes and everybody's a late night writer now. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Everybody is cracking jokes and like breaking the news. And so the role of late night TV, your all the Daily Show spinoffs, Sam B and John Oliver and all those types of shows. I feel like Twitter is covering a lot of that territory. Mm-hmm. And and it, in which case you um, you hit a point of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to keep hearing. Certainly, there was a point, truly, where I'm like, I cannot hear people call Trump an orange Cheeto fat, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, stop. Exactly. Please cut that. <laughs> like, we've got it and it's done. So my hope is that, like, I don't know. I just know that I lost interest in 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 the comedy news shows under Trump plus with Twitter. Right. No, you're right. You're right. You know, because I still love watching John Oliver's show. But it got the last year and a half. It just got a bit much for me. I just was like, I just can't. I don't. I mean, like, my my main thing was, I don't want to see Trump's face again. I don't want right. his voice again. <laughs> right. You know? I mean, yeah. And, and then Trump is on Twitter. You know what I mean? So he's right there too. And it just, I I think people. And this is and like John Oliver is one of the most brilliant shows on TV. Samantha B is super. You know what I mean? These are great shows. Right. But I think that people have reached a point of exhaustion with rolling around in these headlines. Like nobody wants to roll around in these headlines to anymore. So I wonder how a show like that will pivot or if with Biden in office, people's appetite for that will change. They will be interested in that again because it won't be so, I don't know. I know, like you said, it you know, things may, may pivot. All I know is on the six, when stuff was popping off in DC, Black Twitter and Native Twitter were funny yeah. as all hell because it was like it was like a testament of two different worlds. It was like white folks were like, "What is happening?" and everybody else was like, "Well, I can't say everybody else because I'm just taking, talking <laughs> specifically to Black and Native folk." Like we were just like, "Bitch, this ain't nothing but the same old, same old," and now you get to see it. And they were cracking jo- the shit was funny. It was just like all yeah. the best of Black Twitter. Oh, yeah. Like coalesced on the six. So it was like there was like the one point of me who was watching the news, my sister. Literally, I was watching my sister, you know, I had we're looking at the news, we had a glass of wine, my mother's complaining in her room looking at the news, and it was just like, look at these people. And then literally I started playing like Black Sabbath. 
war pig. And so my sister's like, what are you doing? I was like, you know, this shit is actually kind of funny, <laughs> you know, because it's like we've been telling people this for the longest and I'm just ready to crack jokes and see what's funny. And literally, I was sitting online with my sister and she's not a online person at all. But because she literally this is my sister. She came up to me and she goes. So where do I find Black Twitter? I was like, bitch, if you oh, don't get no. this. <laughs> oh, no. And so, but it was funny, though. I love her. Because she's not. She's not. She's not. Right. That thing. So I had to explain to her, like, it's not really a thing. <laughs> it's just that Black people are just funnier than everybody else. And so when people mm-hmm. say Black Twitter, what they're really saying is that Black people are just dragging everybody for filth and being humorous and funny. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's how it is. So I was just showing her certain things on there. And we were just, like, laughing. But it was like the dichotomy of us laughing, but at the same time, like, look at this ridiculousness. Right. <laughs> and, and, I also, and also checking in with those, like, you know, the John Olivers and all those places and the Daily Show. And it was just like, we were both talking. She goes, like, how are people going to, like, are people going to want to watch the Daily Show and stuff? Because are we going to be so mentally exhausted that... The things that we want to see that are funny are going to be, are we going to turn to more safe, poppy type of humor, right. cheesiness to kind of like get us through it? I kind of feel like it's like when we got through World War II and it was like for a long time when the people were watching films and stuff on TV, comedy was a big, comedy and musicals were a big major bomb to the nation in terms of just coping mechanisms. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like. 2021 will probably be looking to comedy, really smart comedy, but not that kind of like in your face extra type of comedy. I don't know. I just, I just, I don't, what are your well, feelings, Kayla? Well, I'll tell you, since quarantine happened, I have watched every 90s multicam available on Hulu <laughs> and Amazon Prime. There's something so comforting about that laugh track, about, you know, oh. the rhythm, the boom, 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 the boom, boom, yes. boom. Yes. And like all those old um, theme songs and transition music that just has been comforting from the past. And and like I grew up on those. And then, you know, there's a there there has been a trend to be like, oh, multi-cams, the laugh track, it's so corny, it's so hack, blah, 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 single camera, smart, prestige, comedy, drama, whatever. I do think, because those numbers are up, I think, with viewers on yep. Hulu and whatever, I do right. think that people are yearning for just straight-up comfort food, lightheartedness, situational comedy that's not about the president, but comedy about who, you know, ate the last banana. Let's get right. to the bottom of this. Like, <laughs> right, real right. silly <laughs> foolishness that we yeah. love. Yeah. And so I do think I there might be a yearning for that. I no, I think you're, you're true because I'm absolutely like, right because right. I feel that like it's like I was telling someone the other day it's like he like Trump sucked up so much air in everything that you know that nothing really even like you know like had any um, like the staying power it's just gone mm-hmm. and I feel that comedy you're right I mean like those comedies that were you know, the thing about the, the single cam cameras are, cameras are, they're not really comedies. They're more like dramedies. You know? A lot of them are comedies. Well, <laughs> they are, well no, 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 but compared to like the, compared to the multi-cam ones, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the stuff you're talking about from the 90s, like there was a style to that, that was that the lightness of it. You know, there's, yes. like, there's always something a lot, um, there's always, there's always some dark undercurrent in 
the single cam cameras, which is fine. I think it's great. I'm not saying anything wrong, but I'm but compared to what you're saying, and I think that I think yeah, we definitely need that. We definitely need that kind of thing because just just because we need the break from just the bullshit and just like you know yeah look all i've been all all i've been watching is half and half and reliving my rachel true days where i was like i used to dress like that in the 90s and wear my hair like that in the 90s and it's been so comforting watching like okay is she going to like you know and just seeing you know, uh, MC Light being her boss and looking back like, oh my God, I have that same outfit. Oh my God, that was my jam. Oh my God, is that genuine? You know, it's like, yeah. it was so comforting. Sure. And it's, and it's, it's kind of like, what scientists talk about where, I was just reading, because you know, I'm a nerd geek, where I was reading this thing where people were talking about why people, especially people who are uh, not neurotypical, who are neurodivergent, who have a tendency to watch the same type of TV mm-hmm. shows over and over again. And it's their comfort because it, there's a sense of control because they know what's going to happen. There's going to be a happy ending. And what it does, it, it, it fires up those sure. neurons, helps them fire up those things that they're not getting um, in their brain chemically that makes them normal, quote unquote, whatever normal is like everybody else. And I'm one of those people who is not neurotypical. And so going back to those shows, I realize. Coming into 2021, I'm not interested in dark, edgy comedy. Um, I'm not interested in a lot of, like, the stuff that I normally would be interested mm-hmm. in, like dark horror and stuff. Like, I need things to be light in a way and kind of comforting and have, like, a some kind of hope or something where it's, sure. like, it makes me feel like, you know what? Better days are ahead, finally. We've been sure. through the storm. Um, and then eventually I can get back to all my weird, crazy stuff that I normally enjoy. Yeah. Tell you this when I was watching Half and Half, and I took a break literally like yesterday, and I thought, well, let me go back and check a look at um, Netflix, The uh, Death of 2020. I only got into like 10 minutes of it because I felt like it's too soon. Like there were some, <laughs> there were some funny moments, and then I just thought, you know what? They made this shit a little too soon for me, and I can't watch it anymore. I'll have to wait for maybe a couple of years before I go back to that. And, and, I don't know if writers need to be thinking in those terms because I feel like Americans are going to be going through so much mental health and changes in terms of what they view for entertainment and what they take from entertainment in 2021. Um, I, I'm just really like just just we're at a point now where we really don't know what's what's going to happen. It's kind of like you know William Goldman. No one knows what's happening. No one knows. No one knows anything. And I feel like we're at that at this point in terms of entertainment. But at the same time, I want to be hopeful in terms of people who are writing creative, wonderful things. I, I just don't know if the audience is there for it yet or if we're ready for certain things. I, mean, I, think, I, don't know. I, think, I don't know. I think we'll get back to it soon enough. I think right now, though, like it's interesting how hot Ted Lasso was this summer. Right. And I feel like in any other environment, people would be like, how cheesy is this corny show? Everybody, you know, he's sweet. He has lessons. He's kind to everybody. And like the hardest, most cynical, jaded comedy people I know lapped that up. Like, yeah ate yeah. that show up and I think yeah. and I, I also was like I don't and I also am not a sports person I do not care and so I was like I don't want to watch this show about a sports team I watched one episode and I was like I'm gonna bake cookies and <laughs> like, I truly was like I, it, I, it made me want to bake cookies um, and so no I do think I think that's true I will say though in defense of single camps 
New Girl. <laughs> New Girl and Veep are two of the funniest shows that have come out in the last decade. Well, <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just saying, there's a lot of comedy happening with the single cams. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay now, Veep is one of the funniest shows ever. Hands it's down. Fucking, but, you know, but it's a show that, yes, it's a political show, and it came out during the Obama era, but I, and I feel like if it, if it still kind of played into the Trump era most of the time, it's such an absurdist look at that, what's going on. And it's like, I mean, I, I think I heard, I, th- I heard someone on the show talking one time, like a podcast, and they were saying it's like, they would have, you know, like so much of the cursing was like improv, improv stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and they were like, you know, like we'd sit around and have to figure out how to up the, you know, like the last curse yeah. the next take. Like new all new out- curse words. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to outdo each other on all the kind of stuff. I think that's like a fascinating way to work, like in a comedy mm-hmm. environment like that. And I think that's, I mean, that show to me felt as close as you could get to like doing a, like stand up in a scripted environment, you mm-hmm. know, because you feel like they're <laughs> always trying to just like, do, like push it, push it every take, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, but that's a rare one. That's a fucking no. One. I disagree. Uh, I totally disagree. There. <laughs> I disagree. So, Akeem, Akeem, I cameras that are very funny. I disagree. Right. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you a question. This this one's kind of important. We talk about this a lot on the show. Um, we don't we don't get a chance to interview that many um, comic writers. Um, but I, I, this is a question I have for you. So I've noticed over the last two or three years, you've been working pretty consistently. Right, mm-hmm. which we all know in Hollywood is very rare. Mm-hmm. Right, <clears throat> you were talking earlier about how difficult it was, and we all know for us to get the second job. Yeah, like everybody's concerned about that. You've you've pushed past that. How has it been for you in Hollywood? I'm just, by the way, just putting this out there to listeners who I know are going to be asking me questions like this. So I'm just okay. anticipating. How have you survived it? And how, have you been able to move up or have you had to play in the same um, level in certain shows and stuff like that? Or have you been able to move up, you know? Yeah, I've moved up. And it's interesting because the, another difference between comedy variety and scripted is that the hierarchy is different. So on a scripted show, you have you there's like seven levels. And you start off a staff writer, you move up story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer, supervisor, producer, all the way up to executive producer. On comedy variety, you're just writer. Everybody. Same title. Uh, and like the well, they, they have a head writer though maybe they have a head writer and they have writers right. and so you're all kind of at the same level and so when you try to make that shift between the two I could work four years in comedy variety and they will try to start me off as staff writer because mm-hmm. they don't they'll like we don't recognize that amount of experience fortunately for me I'm a part of this black women's writers group uh, BWB and it's like a hundred of us in there and I've been around those women enough to like they got veterans in there they got newbies in there and they're sharing the tips of the trade and i learned about the double bump i learned that you can skip a level which like nobody told me that and i think a lot of people think that only white like that's something that white people have been giving each other for a long time i'm fighting it right now i'm trying to do it right now so i know exactly what you're talking about right i didn't i I wouldn't have known hold on chris let her her finish this real quick I wouldn't have known that was an option. And so, of course, I mean, studios are going to try to pay you the least, right? And I basically was like, I have spent now 
we do some math on this, but let's say three years, I've been on six different shows. I can, you know, prolific joke writer. I know that I'm good. You enjoyed my sample. I'm not going to start over at Staff Writer because I've had that title for four years. Right. And fortunately for me, this is an interesting thing. So when the WGA was going through with the agencies and we didn't have reps for the staffing season of March 2019, mm-hmm. um, Twitter got like stepped in and there was all these hashtags, WGA staffing boost, blah, 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 writers hire writers. And like I use my Twitter and like really got in there and I was sharing my scripts and people were giving me feedback and rave reviews and I was posting that. I ended up with a, a, a lot of meetings and a lot of offers, which made me competitive when I said I'm not starting a staff writer. Mm-hmm. So people gave me staff writer offers and I was able to turn them down until somebody gave me story editor. Right. And so I, that's how I've been able to. No, that's important. One, I was curious to see how you su- sustain that, you know, because we are always, as black people, whether you're a male or a female, yeah. offered a staff writer job, no matter how many times you've been that. Like, they didn't look you up. I mean, I understand. Right. <laughs> right. Know, oh, ahead, no, I mean, I, I was going to say, a couple, a couple of things I want to ask, and this is I'm going to say. I mean, I mean, you're right about just, you, I mean, look, I remember I was talking with uh, Dave Andron, who's the uh, show on the hell on Skyfall, mm-hmm. stuff, uh, on Snowfall, and he was saying the same thing. He was saying you got to stick to your guns and you got to turn down jobs where yeah. they don't do that. And he said the hard thing is, can you sustain yourself if you can turn on a job? Right. And you know, I and I, and me and I and and, and and he said that's your integrity. If you turn it down, then they're gonna know we gave this person a job and they said no. That like really helps you with the rest of the stuff that you're gonna do. The Love thing it. is, the thing is, that's a hard thing for a lot of people too. For do. sure, absolutely. You know, but you know, but and, and and that's something he said too. He he said he said if you can afford to do it, if you can afford to sit out for like like six months or something like that now, or a year, whatever before, but it's less now because the staffing's all this all the time. Right. He said, you know, then then you then you need to do that because that. Will show you that you're that you that you value yourself very highly. Yeah. And, or there's you know and 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 that those people. Are, I mean, because it's like, you know, I have that set up like for me, you know, um, you know, because for my show, it was like, hey, we're putting you on for season two, season three, and for season three, you know, you're definitely getting the buck. Like that was 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 there. You know, it wasn't like. I start over. I mean, and the crazy thing was, like, like they start talking about season three, like, maybe, like, a, two weeks into the room. So I was like, you guys are tripping. But it's one of those <laughs> things that I, I, I think you got, I think I'm going to talk to you more about, about, like, the double bump and the skipping levels, because I think that's a term that a lot of people aren't really aware of. And I think that they, they really only, I think, Hilia, you told me on your show, mm-hmm. there's a woman who came in as staff writer that halfway through, they pushed her up to story editor, right. you know, like, throughout the season. Yeah, a black girl, um, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's something that that I think that I I just I, I think you just have to know what you're worth and you have to stand on it because it's not like you're 23 and you're just out here and anything like that. It's like look, I fucking was, I, I fucking I was almost partner. Well, it's also one of those things where like a couple of thoughts on that, but like one, you have to know that that option exists, which like yeah. who, I would never have known that. I also feel like. You're told so many times 
this might be controversial. You're told so many times that this industry is hard, that it's hard to break through, that they make you repeat, whatever, that you begin to be like, well, I guess that's that's how I got to pay my dues. That's how it's going to be. And it has, it has been beneficial for me to hear from people who were like, no, is it, I, I killed it. I'm, I just sold up. I remember I was at a meeting. I won't say what group, but a group of <laughs> black tell, writers. Tell them. <laughs> I won't. I won't. I don't mean who. I just mean. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll say, okay, so I'm in two different, I'm in a bunch of groups. So, uh, 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 one group, anytime we get together, it's like so-and-so just got a deal. So-and-so just sold a movie. So-and-so just got stabbed. So-and-so just got a double bump, right? You walk out of that meeting like, yo, I'm about to storm true Hollywood. Like, I'm not taking staff writer. I don't know what you heard. And, I, and I'll email my reps like, listen, I'm not taking staff writer. Which I think, you know, your reps too will be like, oh, I mean, sure. That makes the, the studio made a good argument about why, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't care what the studio said. So like having that, you, you got to put your reps on the same page with you. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I walk out of that meeting. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> then there's another group of writers, black writers that I'm in, where the tone is so defeatist. It's mm-hmm. hard. Black people aren't selling movies. They're not hiring black people. You got to do staff writer 14 times in a row. And I walk out of that meeting like, uh, man, maybe I just get on the bus and go back home. You know? And so, and so I just, I think, I think there is something to like not, whether or not it's true, there's something in there to being like. Put your blinders on and be like, look. And, and push. And, and because then you become a story about right, how right. it is possible with somebody else to be like, oh, shit, it's possible. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll change how you move in the industry. Right. Well, I think you're absolutely right. 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 Because I, th- I think that any type of here's the thing. Every story that you hear about, that's like a, you know, becomes like some big story, you know, like, so, you know, that be whatever becomes like, you know, like, like front page news and like variety or some shit on like Vanity Fair, something like that. Those are the stories of people who kind of broke a trend. You know, they broke something, and it's because they just had the gall to say, I'm going to do X. I'm going to make a statement on some level. And I feel like, you know, there's, there's a lot of just like, you know, what you're saying about your second group about it's hard and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's not something that I, that's something that feels like some, it's kind of endemic among black people that I, I mean, I, I like, there's a lot of black people out here who feel that there's like, there's something to chain around you and look, and there is a chain around you, but you know, but, 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 but you can pull against that chain. You don't have to wait for that chain to break because you could break it yourself if you pull hard enough. And a lot of that is going to be in like how hard you make an argument, how hard you believe in yourself you know, to, to make these arguments, to make these statements. Because the thing that you were saying earlier about when you were an attorney is like that you, you got a right to make something to be succinct and persuasive. And, and the thing about our industry is people respond to persuasive language. You know, they just do off the rip whatever it is. So you can make things happen by speaking and presenting arguments in a way that are you know that hit people like in the nerve now you know that now that doesn't mean it's always going to work but you should try it you know and see what happens 
Well, I think, I mean, let me, let me just make clear that like the industry is difficult for black people. There are obstacles in our way. It's systemic. So I just want to make sure that I'm like not discounting that they're not, listen, the stats, the stats prove that it's tough, right? So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm acknowledging that. But what I'm also saying is that like, but you, but you're also decided to come out here. So if you're going to be out here, like you don't want to be out here and be like, well, shit, it's going to suck. Cause then like, why stick through this? Like, if you're going to be out here, let's like, you got to like, like you think about like I came out here 2013. So in 2013, this is before SNL decided we need to put some black women on this show. This mm. is like scandal had come out, but not Empire, not Blackish, not Insecure, not The Shy, right? And so right. if you were out, if, if you're a, a TV writer, a young TV writer like myself who came out here, it's not because you saw that the, op- the opportunities were there. You weren't. You didn't come out here because you saw 20 black TV shows on the air and thought you could right. do it. You came out here because you knew it wasn't done and you were going to be the one to do it, right? Right. right. And I just right. feel like that's, right. you got to have that mindset because we don't always have the luxury of seeing it done before us. But if we don't believe we could do it, then why are we here? Right. Well, that's it. Well, look, it's this, it's this thing that I say a lot that it's this thing that my dad used to say to me. He used to say, if someone is doing it, then you can do it. There doesn't have to be a black person doing it, you know. It's like, like if someone thought to do a movie this way, if if someone th- thought to get on the moon, whatever fuck it is, if that person is white, black, whatever, if someone is doing it, you have a there's that's something you can do. Now, granted, it's going to be harder if you're black because of the way this, the, the, the the way America's set up to fuck with you. But like you said, you gotta have the mindset. You gotta have the mindset to survive it. To you know, to, you know, to be a slightly slightly more resilient. You know, because you just have to be, because you recognize how much harder just shit is in life for you in general. And it's gonna be harder. In this, in, it's gonna be harder in this industry in general because this industry works to make it hard for you for, for black people across the board. It's 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 so implicit in the propaganda of making black people feel bad about themselves and supporting white supremacy, and and it, and it fucking always has been. So when you come out here, you gotta realize. That's part of your struggle. That, that everything. I mean, because you, I mean, you sometimes you go into meetings and people are like you know don't expect black people to be doing certain kind of shit. And right. it's like, well, 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 and that's because you've always well, because I've always seen this. Oh, you've only seen this on TV. You only seen this in a movie because right. you don't actually know by in person. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's the battle that you do have to fight <laughs> if you're black. But you know, but the thing is, it can be done. Right. We've seen that. Yeah. So, so Kilo, what, what's next for you? Like, what's you know, as we wind it down, like what, yeah, what, uh-huh. what, what brilliance are you going to bring to us? Well, let me let me piggyback it before you answer her question, though, uh-huh. right. really quickly. What's next for you? And give give the okay, everybody, the kids, give the writers who are out there who are interested in late night or you know um, uh, sitcoms, you know, some 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 word of advice before we let you go. Right. What, what order would you like that in? Don't matter. Um, what's next for me? So I'm on Black Monday, um, and I also sold a show to ABC, so I'm in development right now. So that's how I spent my Christmas break. <laughs> um, and so, you know, see how, see how that goes, and then, you know, pitching some other stuff. Um, so that's where I, that's, that's what's, that's what's in the pipeline, and then I'm trying to write my first feature. Man, features are long and hard. Um, so anyway, so that's what's, that's what's going on there. And then advice for people. Um, like I said, I always tell people, network, network, network. Like people think it's cool to be like, I'm a writer and I drink scotch and I'm in a cabin and I'm just <laughs> thinking deeply. And it's like, that's cute, but it don't pay. So I need you to like 
get out there and make sure people know you make sure people like you because like that's also a big part nobody wants to work with a jerk i'm not sitting in a room with you all day if you're a jerk um but also when when people think of you because this opportunity came up you have to make sure your materials are ready so it's so it's that's why we say it's both you have to be working on the craft you got to be good at it you got to have stuff when chelsea handler was like at Tell Akilah I want to see her samples. I have a packet ready to go. Nobody wants to hear you be like, oh, give me two weeks to, I was just about to finish my, you know, that's not, you know, nobody, because they'll find somebody else who is ready. Akilah, what, what is in your packet for those um, variety shows and those? Um, it, you know, that's, a, that's interesting. So um, late night shows each have their own packet where they'll tell you, basically, we want some combination of like 20 monologue jokes. They'll give you like, you're always responding to maybe the week, the news of the week before, or like whatever's happening in the zeitgeist at that time. So a show like um, Fallon or Colbert or Daily Show will be like, give me 20 monologue jokes, give me a desk bit. You know, sometimes they'll do a, a bit. Um, slow jam the news, thank you letters, those types of things that, you know, they come back to recurring bits. Create a new bit or two. Um, and so it'll be some combination of like, give me these five things and they'll tell you exactly what they want. That's one type of late night packet. And another type of packet is like John Oliver, Hassan Minhaj, and Samantha B, where they're like, we want like a My Sam, My Sam B packet was about the Charlottesville. This was a way back when that happened. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they told me I want a comedic essay because their show is formatted differently. And like, I want it on this topic. So you have to write a comedic essay on that thing. John Oliver gave me the research they wanted me to use for the for the comedic essay they wanted so the, so that's typically what happens um for chelsea chelsea was much looser she did not have a packet she basically said show me what you think is funny because if you're funny I, you can write you can write jokes about what's happening in the world let me just see what you think is funny now i will say that i've done enough shows where i don't have like and i don't do late night anymore like i'm not on those sh- shows but like for um, award shows and like yearly departed and stuff like that. I don't have to send in packets anymore. Okay. But also, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can find my jokes. Um, yeah. So that's <laughs> awesome. Well, look, speaking of Twitter, let's tell the kids where you at. Where can people um, follow you? Twitter, Instagram, sure. or whatever. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Akila Green, first and last one word A K I L A H G R E E N. That was that. But look, thank you so much. This was awesome. We've been wanting to have you for a while. I wish we could have did this in person and not on Skype with these horrible sound we have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we appreciate you. We're watching you. We're seeing what's going on out there. You're doing some good shit. We're proud mm-hmm. of you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed talking awesome. to you guys. Awesome having you on. Um, where you at, Chris Derrick? <laughs> oh, I happen to be on Twitter currently. Um... <laughs> I'm on um, unauthorized CBD. Um, on what you Twitter. know about that, Akila? Yeah, everyone laughs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm thinking about getting on parlor so I can watch these. Republic wow, TV. don't do it to Just yourself. So can... Protect your peace. <laughs> okay, protect your peace. Protect your neck. Protect your neck. <laughs> I'll, I'll lurk on there for something. But no, yeah, you can find me there. You can find me there. And, you know, if you come to our website, ScreenwritersRR.com. You can ask us questions. You can um, hear this episode again in the future. There will be shirts to buy. There will be mugs to buy. 
uh, not for this episode, but just for, you know for our shows. And you can support the Patreon of our page on ScreenwritersRR.com. Awesome, cool. Lisa, Lisa, Colt Jam. I'm on Twitter at uh, What Fresh Hell Is This? And you know it's me because it's the Black Mermaid, so you, it's there. <laughs> and you know what? Twitter tried to trip me because I haven't been on there a lot, and so I tweeted stuff, and they sent me a notice going, we need to verify it's you because yeah. this, this, this thing has been active. We don't know it's you. So I've, been on my, my, so I've been on my burner accounts talking shit. But now I'm upset because <laughs> I can't talk shit to the president anymore because he's been banned from every single social network thing. So That's better for you. And that's better, better for the world. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> better, better for us all. Better they do his all. son too. Yeah, um, this shit, everybody. <laughs> anyway, and I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, Screenwriters Rant Room at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you guys listen to, Google Play, we're everywhere. Um, please give us a five star review. We need that for the metrics. <clears throat> Again, Big, big shout out to Akilah Green out here. Very proud of you, little sis, out Thank here you. making it happen. Um, you know, we got our fingers crossed for you that the ABC show will be picked hey, up. Yes. Yes. Hey, yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, don't, don't forget my 10%. My pick fees that I charge everybody. I don't know how you can do it. I have to send my boys to come get it. Um, <laughs> anyway, but seriously, Akilah, really, I'm so, so proud of you. Lots of great things going on for you. Um, and I love what you're doing on Twitter. You, you're hilarious, girl. You're killing it. Y'all should follow her. Make sure y'all follow her. She's doing some mm-hmm. crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody join with me for Wakanda Forever for now until Lisa comes up with something I, new. You know, I got to come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> I got to come up with something. So anyway, we, we appreciate you guys, you know, tuning in for us. This is the first show of 2021. Woo! Lots Lots of good shit coming. We got Kent Powers next week mm-hmm. from um, the new movie Soul and uh, One Night in Miami. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking to him next week. Anyway, so we appreciate you guys. You know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. You know it, Akila. You don't know it, Akila. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Right. Have a good one. All right. See you next week. I'ma say what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the red room. Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd Has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.